All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. The message is entitled, Paul, Ambassador of Christ. This is the last study in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Paul, having dealt with the armor of God for spiritual warfare, closes his letter, confirming his own commitment in the spiritual warfare to be victorious which is characterized for us by three things here. Let me read verses 19 through 24. He says, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in Christ, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Paul's commitment to the same spiritual warfare with the armor of God that he has been teaching is characterized by these three things. First, the personal petition of Paul in verse 19 and 20. Second, we have the personal information about Paul in verse 21 and 22. And then thirdly, you have the personal benediction from Paul in verse 23 and 24. The personal petition of Paul comes first, 19 and 20. Look at verse 19. The Apostle Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him and his witness of the gospel. Paul has just told them to pray with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, which includes himself by the phrase, and for me. This is in view of the spiritual warfare every believer, as we've said, is born into. The men that were born again. You and I become an enemy of Satan. Become one with God. He did not give a false concept about no longer needing prayer because he was so mature spiritual. Notice that. He didn't hesitate. Sometimes our pride or sometimes our own Deception uh, puts us in the mindset that we think that we, we've already learned those lessons. That doesn't bother me and that's not going to happen to me. And yet Paul the Apostle realized that if he wasn't committed to this warfare, he would also uh, lose the spiritual battle. Paul the aged is transparent and truthful about needing prayer. As if to say, I need you to pray for me and with me. This is in view of constantly depending on Jesus in and through the warfare, as you know. Again, he includes himself as one of the saints, not above them. This is probably the hardest thing for pastors, especially if they are famous, if they are, quote, quote, successful by the uh, evidence of numbers or because they are invited everywhere or because maybe they write books or whatever or make movies or whatever. And, um, and it's easy to get carried away to get to the mindset where you think, well, you know, you know I know it's all God, but I, I'm not doing a bad job, you might say. <laughs> Paul acknowledged his need of Jesus in and through the warfare constantly. Notice Paul was asking for prayer that God would direct his words, that utterance may be given to me. The word utterance has the idea of the expression of thought, logos or logos, whichever we want to pronounce it. True prayer begins with God, as we've spoken before, to guide our thoughts and desires to do God's will. And the word that indicates a specific purpose the word hinna, it's a hinna clause, to be the channel of God. This is the purpose. That God would work in me and through me, and I'm just that vessel. 
The source is clearly from heaven by the phrase may be given to me. The phrase is only one word in the Greek and it means to bestow, to grant, or to furnish. Any attempt in the warfare, apart from depending on Jesus, is really as good as loss. The implication is divine enablement for the specific time and occasion when we need it. We've spoken about the evil day, those difficult times, those hand-to-hand combat days. Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would give them the words. Listen carefully to Matthew 10, 19 through 20. He says, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of our Father who speaks in you. Now, this doesn't mean that a pastor is not to study. Some people take this stuff and they kind of do that. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I just get up there and let the Lord lead, let the Spirit lead. Well, you probably repeat yourself a lot and you probably don't give much content. But he's speaking about when, if we're studying, we're growing, we're maturing, then when the time comes, when we're in situations, God will bring all those things. The Holy Spirit brings it to mind. And he will use that. You've, you've witnessed that yourself. Sometimes God has used you to speak to somebody or to share with somebody about the Lord. Or maybe they ask you some, for some counsel and, and, and the Lord you just began to bring scriptures to you and all that. And you were so amazed, but you didn't want to act surprised because you're more shocked than they are. And, and, and you see God working in you and through you. But because you've sat down, you've studied, you've prayed, you've read, you, 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 you put it in. The Holy Spirit can bring it out. Notice Paul was asking prayer for courage that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The process is literally in the opening of my mouth boldly to express the thoughts of God conveyed through words with confidence, not arrogance, not pride, but with confidence. Sometimes people are shocked what I say and how I say it. He says, how can, how can you be so bold? Because it's not my word. It's not my authority. This is God's word. If, if you can't stand up and proclaim it and teach it with confidence, then get out of the pulpit. You don't want a pastor and say, well, you know, it says here, but some people say, well, we don't know if it's true. And, you know, there are faults in the manuscripts. And so, well, we you know, we're just hoping for the best. Are you a Christian? What are you? You have to have full confidence in God's word. It is God's word. That it's able to do what it says that it can the word boldness means literally to speak freely, unreserved, without intimidation. Uninhibited would be a good word. The reason is implied. The fear of man and the consequences bring a snare, the proverb says. People don't want to be marked. People don't want to be criticized. People don't want to be confronted sometimes. And so people cower. We're seeing much of that in our nation. We're raising the nation a bunch of panty waste. Nobody stands up for anything. Nobody wants to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. We're telling all our people if there's a danger, go hide. Until help comes. Are you kidding me? That's even the protocol for our military on basis now. Hmm. Well, maybe the new school can do that, but um, I don't think so. How much more are we to be courageous in Christ when it comes to people who challenge the authority and the reliability of God's word and what he says and what he promises? 
as we walk with God and we see him do tremendous works in our lives and the lives of others and we see his faithfulness, his love and his goodness, how can we deny that? We can't. The goal was to proclaim the gospel of salvation. The phrase to make known means to give information, knowledge, and understanding about the gospel and as far as human words are concerned. Now, we never believe that it's our words who convince people or that save people. We're just simply the channel. It's the Holy Spirit who brings the conviction, the illumination, and convicts that person, and they ask the Lord, and he saves them. But we're the instrument. The word mystery, mysterion, means something previously hidden but now made known. Every time it occurs in the New Testament, it's exactly what it reveals. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. First Corinthians 15, the rapture, the resurrection. I will not have you to be ignorant about the mystery about Israel, that blindness in part has happened there. It's very clear now. The mystery of the rapture, it's, not, it's very clear now. It's not a mystery. And so every mystery that the word is used in the New Testament is something previously hidden, not understood clearly, but now is very clear and understood. The gospel means the good tithings, the good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins to redeem and deliver people from the wrath of God. That's not a very attractive message today. And I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the church. There's a social gospel being promoted, a gospel of prosperity, a gospel of uh, feeling good, a gospel of, uh, of free grace. You can do what you want and you're still saved. Really? Satan tried to buy into that and he got kicked out of heaven. You would judge the person's Christianity by what they say and believe and live. Not just by what they say. What they say has to be according to the word of God and that life has to line up with it. Notice the Apostle Paul asked the Ephesians for prayer, understanding his personal call by God. Verse 20 says, Paul understood here he was a representative of Jesus Christ for which I am an ambassador in chains. He remembered clearly that Jesus had uh, commissioned him, remember, in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus to be his ambassador through the hands of Ananias as Paul was praying there in um, Acts 9, verse 11 through 16. In verse 11, Jesus directed Paul, he says, So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So he's directing uh, Paul to go, and now he directs Ananias to go where Paul is. God is directing him as here as he saves him. Jesus prepared Paul. And in a vision, he was seeing a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight, verse 12 of Acts 9 said. And then Ananias objected to Jesus as he's telling him this. In verse 13 and 14, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on, the, on your name. Yet Jesus revealed to Ananias, the commission of Paul in verse 15 and 16 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He's commissioned right there. He reminded the Galatians, if you remember, about his commission. Galatians 1.1, Paul an apostle not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father, who raised him from the dead. So he declares there that man didn't send him out as an apostle. God did through the person of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1, 11 and 12, it says, But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, 
For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So like Jesus spent three years with the disciples and apostles, Paul spent three years with Jesus in Arabia in the desert as he taught him. For three years, that's how he got his gospel. He didn't go up to Jerusalem. It wasn't until three years after that he went up there, and not to learn anything from them, but simply to tell them that he was born again and Jesus had appeared to them. In Galatians 1, 15 through 8, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through the, his grace to reveal the Son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, Paul's a Jew. He hated Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained there for 15 days. So he tell because people are saying, well, you know, you're, 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 you learned it from them. Somebody gave it. He said, no, no, Jesus gave it to me. He knew the high privilege of being an ambassador of Christ Jesus. He says he's an ambassador for Christ in chains. Underline that word. He was an ambassador, an older person as the representative of Jesus in heaven, but in chains. What a paradox. Philippians 1.14, 1.16, Colossians 4.3, 4.18. He says a prisoner, chains. <laughs> Paul knew his words and his conduct would properly represent Christ in the kingdom or improperly. And so he asked for prayer, that he might speak the way he should, conduct himself the way he should, an ambassador. Paul was falsely accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple, as you know. He was arrested and later transferred to Caesarea on the Mediterranean. And he witnessed to Felix, his wife Drusilla, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, about his commission by Jesus and the gospel in Acts 21 to 26. He laid a heavy gospel on them. Agrippa said, Paul, much learning has made you mad. He raised his shackles and says, would to God you were all together as I except for these chains. Wow. Two times Paul calls himself a prisoner of Jesus. In Ephesians 3, 1 and 4, 1, he never called himself a prisoner of Rome. In fact, he said that he was there by appointment when he wrote to the Philippians. Paul understood his responsibility to be a faithful ambassador of Christ. Listen to his words, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He expressed his obedience to the words and courage imparted to him by Jesus. The phrase is the same root word as the noun in verse 19. This is the verb form. Again, it literally means to speak freely, being unreserved, without intimidation, uninhibited. The tense is the aorist middle voice, indicating Paul had to do this himself as Jesus enabled him. No one could do it for him. Remember, we went over Every soldier has to put on that whole armor. Every soldier has to be engaged in the battle. No one can do it for you. He expressed his obligation to the words and courage imparted to him by Jesus. He says, as I ought to speak. The word ought means what is necessary or compulsory. Sometimes it's translated must. In Acts 4.12, he says, There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved. It's not an option. In Acts 5.29, it says, You judge whether we must obey God or man. It's an order. I have no choice here. I can disobey, but that's a bad choice. The connection here is the obligation of being a proper representative of Christ, namely 
an ambassador. You know, an ambassador goes to a country, he represents that country. If he is not conducted properly, then the nation's the one who gets the black eye, right? Simple. You remember Moses misrepresented God when God told him to speak to the rock to give water to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And he went out there and said, what must I do, you rebellious children? Should I strike this rock and give you water to drink? Now, the people thought that God was mad at them. God wasn't mad at them. God told Moses, speak to the rock. It'll give them water. But Moses was mad at the people. So after he struck the rock and the people drank, God said, Mo, come here. What did I tell you? He told me to give him water. You know, what did I tell you? Tell me to speak about it. What did you do? You hit it. That rock was an analogy of Jesus Christ. He messed up the analogy. Jesus, the rock, only has to be struck once. He struck it more than once. He says, because of that, you're, never going to, you're not going to enter the promised land. Wow. He misrepresented God. We need to pray that God guide our thoughts and speak the right words for the occasion with courage and depend on others as they pray for us, that we ask prayer. Sometimes we're too proud. Sometimes we're embarrassed, whatever it is, but um, it's necessary. The apostles prayed for boldness, as you know, as they had been uh, threatened to cease preaching in Acts 4.29. We also need to pray for boldness that we not be intimidated or ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Romans 1.16 and 17. It's the power of God to salvation. Jew first and the Gentile. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Second Timothy 1 7. And so the enemy's there, circumstances are there, but we have to bring our thoughts in captivity and ask God to give us courage. How often you read in the Old Testament, stop being afraid, as God speaks to Joshua and other people. Why does he say that? Because they were afraid. Simple. We're human. Paul asked the Romans to pray for that he be delivered from those in Judea who disbelieved, and that Jerusalem saints would accept the Gentile gift of the offering he was taken in Acts in Romans 15.31. Paul was always asking for prayer. Very specific prayer. Paul asked the Thessalonians for prayer. Brethren, pray for us in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. He asked the preaching of the gospel. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified in 2 Thessalonians 3.1. So he was always asking the saints, the churches, to pray for him in different things, different occasions. Now you know that the communique wasn't as effective and as quick as it is today. Today we pick up a phone, we just tell somebody, we text somebody. We can even speak them into it, we do everything. That day, it takes weeks and months, depending on the distance, to get a letter. We must never forget that um, we are the ambassadors of Jesus and need to properly represent him. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God has were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So one of the ways that we represent God properly is for our passion and our compassion for those who are lost as God brings that opportunity to be able to minister to them their need of Christ and be praying that they would open their hearts. In uh, Philippians 1.20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. At that point, he was there in Rome and He's under the Praetorium Guard's uh, uh, oversight, and he's waiting to see what's going to happen to him. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me 
if I do not preach the gospel. Paul understood and he, and, he, and he declared that he was by compulsion obligated to preach the gospel. For him not to preach the gospel would be judgment on his life. That's amazing. So the personal petition of Paul was prayer to proclaim the gospel. How we need that. You know, as God uses the word and he has for the past 36 years from this pulpit, is because as I'm teaching, people are praying for the word to be effective. Whether it's here or the internet, whatever it is. The prayers of the saints. Notice, secondly, the personal information about Paul is given. Verse 21 and 22. The Apostle Paul desired the Ephesians to know his present situation. Paul knew the Ephesians were concerned about his present circumstance and situation in prison since um, he arrived at Rome. It says, but that you may, you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. He had been their pastor, remember, for three years in Acts 20.31. He had been there at Ephesus. He had been transferred from Caesarea to Rome by appealing to Caesar in Acts 28.19. He arrived at Rome and was allowed to dwell in his own rented house for two years, receiving all that came to him, preaching and teaching with all confidence, and no one forbidding him. Acts 28.30 and 31 says that was a miracle of God in itself. He wrote four epistles from prison there. They're called the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon because of the runaway slave Onesimus. <laughs> the epistle of Ephesians was written the summer of 62-63 AD. Apparently Epaphras, Epaphroditus had been sent to minister to Paul's needs, Philippians 2.25 tells us, with a little gift also from the Philippians. And Paul thanked them. Paul saw himself there by God's will, furthering the kingdom of God from within, from without, even as many of the Praetorium Guard were being saved. And Paul says, you know, the Praetorium God says, hi, and some people are trying to add, preach Christ to add to my persecution. Others are becoming confident because they hear me preach boldly. What do I care as long as Christ is preached? Wow. Amazing. The Philippians were concerned about Paul. Paul says, hey, I'm here by appointment. I'm here to further the kingdom of God. What better way for them to pray for Paul than to have clear information about his situation and his needs. Notice Paul made known to the Ephesians that Tychicus, or Tychicus, whichever you want to pronounce it, would inform them of these things. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. The name Tychicus means faith. Full, indicating far-reaching and typically disastrous in consequences or implications. What a terrible name. But he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Christian. But now he had become a Christian. So his name was Christian Christ-like. That's a lot better. <laughs> he was the bearer of the epistle. And the one to the Colossians, Colossians 4, 7 tells us. He is uh, mentioned as one of Paul's traveling partners as he left Ephesus to deliver the offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Um, in Acts 20, verse 4, it says, And so Pater of Berea accompanied him to Asia also, Aristarchus, Secundus. Secundus means number two. He must have been a slave, second. Uh, of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trifemus of Asia. And so all these men were accompanying him as he's leaving. He would be sent to Timothy by Paul 
at his second imprisonment in the work of the ministry. In 2 Timothy 4.12, it says in Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. That was his second imprisonment because then Timothy was over the church there. He would also send him, send him to Titus. Um, in Titus 3.12, it says, When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So Tychicus is identified by Paul as, as, as a very faithful man, one who is a servant of God, belonging to the family of God. He calls him here a beloved brother. Beloved, from the word agape, agapitos, which is an endearment term, meaning uh, a person who is dear, highly esteemed, worthy of love. So he was loved by Paul and by others. The root word agape love is God's love. It has nothing to do with physical, sexual, or emotional. It's God's unconditional love based on his love for us to save us. Tychicus is identified by Paul as one faithful to God, a faithful minister in the Lord. Faithful means one who is true, trustworthy, reliable in character towards God and man. That's a rare, you know, when's the last time you heard virtues like honest, honorable, Upright, patriotic, faithful. Those are all dirty words today in our nation. Because they make a judgment. They might feel, make somebody else feel less than that. Tough. You want to be one of those and live like that. Be a person of honor, integrity. Context is a minister, notice that, diakonos. That's what the word is for minister. It means a waiter on tables, a servant. The word is for deacons. So a minister is nothing but a glorified waiter boy. All he does is serve food, spiritual food. So when people call and ask for Reverend Reese, I know they don't know me. Or they write me a letter or address is a address Reverend Xavier Reason. God's the only one that's to be revered. No one else. The ability of Tychicus to be faithful is noticed in the Lord. He had become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The reason you're reliable and trustworthy of character is because now you're a Christian. The old you can't be trusted. The old Xavier can't be trusted. He is funky as he was 42 years ago. He hasn't got one iota better. Paul called Tychicus a fellow prisoner in the Colossian epistle, Colossians 4.10. So these guys were there with Paul in prison with him. In all that rat infested and damp cell and everything else that were there. Notice Tychicus being faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you about Paul's affairs and how he was doing. I think of all the faithful people who have been here through the years. I think of Hank Marquez and Pete Mornay and Many others, we've buried a whole bunch already. <laughs> uh, men who are here just to serve and to oversee and to pray for people and to be used of God is great. And many of you now are filling in the gap of those that the Lord has taken home or whatever. It's great. Look at verse 22. The Apostle Paul desired the Ephesians to be consoled. 
by this news. The love is mutual. Paul confirmed his intent in sending Tychicus, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose. So Paul indicated at this point that it was his decision to send Tychicus to Ephesus. I have sent to you. The Ephesians, again, were concerned about Paul in prison. Paul was concerned about them being concerned about him in prison. The statement I have sent is called an epistolary heiress, big old word. This is in the Greek where the writer of the letter adopts the point of view of the recipient when they would read the letter. So this tense of the error is indicative stating the act or event that was present or future to him. So it's written in the Greek in such a way so when the person's writing it, it's like if it's happening right then. And it's just the Greek is a little different. Notice Paul affirmed here his desire to inform the Ephesians about their situation. But he enlarged here the aspect to include others, that you may know our affairs. Before it was my affairs. Now it's our affairs. In verse 21, Paul stated that. My affairs. have focused on the concern for himself personally there as he's meeting the, the, that information, uh, his health, his status perhaps, maybe, you know, what was going on. Now Paul includes himself and all those present with him, those involved with him during the imprisonment, by the word our, it's in the plural, a plural pronoun, opposed to the other one that is singular. Perhaps the, um, the opposition and the difficulties that had gone on, or perhaps some of the interesting things that God had done, like the conversion of, of, of Onesimus. What are the chances that, that Onesimus belonged to Epaphras, who was going to the church in Colossae, and he runs away and he goes to Rome and he gets thrown in jail where Paul's in jail. And he gets converted and he sends them back with um, Tychicus to hand them over to his master that hopefully they can be reconciled and that now he is a child of God. <laughs> Interesting things. Paul, in fact, names five men with him in the letter to Philemon. He says, Epaphras, who was the pastor of Colossae, my fellow prisoner in Christ in Jesus, interesting, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the work of the gospel. So these men were there with him. In Philemon 23 and 24, Paul was always communicating with the various churches, as you know, as you read his letters. Uh, to keep them abreast of the ministry situation, his personal needs, and what he was going to do. In fact, in Romans 15, 24, Paul told the Romans of his desire to see them um, as he ventured to go into Spain. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 16, Paul informed the Corinthians of his visit on the way to Macedonia and then coming back through Macedonia. And in fact, they got a little um, arrogant with him, thinking that he was fickle. And he says, I, the Lord just changed the direction, no big deal. But he always informed people. You see, Paul intended for this information to bring some sense of relief to them in their anxiety about their concern. It says, and that he may comfort your hearts. So by the news that Tychicus was going to give to them, then this was going to help them to not be concerned about him or worried about him. The unknowns of life can be used by Satan to burden us and to take our peace from us. The word comfort there, periclesis, means to call one to one side, that they might be encouraged. It's two words, para, alongside. We get the word like Parallel parking next to the curb. Paramedic next to a doctor. Paralegal next to a lawyer. And then kaleo to call. And so this is what he wanted to do. Through this information, he was coming alongside to comfort them, to relieve their concern over him. In fact, this is the very word that is used for the Holy Spirit, the comforter, para. Kaleo, 
the heart is what he focuses on, indicating the center or the seat of spiritual life, our soul, our intellect, the faculty of understanding, reason, thoughts, our thinking process, our emotions, our passions, desires, affections, our endeavors and purposes, and our will, who we really are in character. And so he wants our spirit to be the one who is yielding to God so that our hearts are not flustered and removed from the peace of God and that we try to deal with it in our own ways, in our own power, in our own energy, that we rest in God as people are praying for, we're praying for ourselves and we're dealing with accurate information and lifting those things to God so that there can be comfort, there can be peace, there can be a confidence, a courage. Who has not been in, in a tense situation concerning a son, a daughter, a friend, a husband or a wife, only to have the weight lifted by receiving good news and their well-being? The minute you hear that voice over the phone, the minute you, you hear their voice, everything is okay. It's just that, that big a difference. How often um, we have been told of a need of a brother or a sister in Christ within the church. And then we pray and then we let time run and we receive great news about God's faithfulness. We're immediately comforted if it is good news. We are able to pray for the difficult situations or intercede in the midst of the bad news. Be it for wisdom, strength, healing, we trust the Lord for that. We have an ongoing prayer chain, as you know, for the needs of the people in the church. The needs are lifted up to God, knowing he is greater than the situation and he's sovereign, knowing what is best for the person. So we come praying according to God's will and we see what God's going to do. We've seen many miracles through the years. We've seen people heal completely of cancer. Um, Peter Hanegraaff that was on staff, his wife, Wendy, fifth stages of cancer, healed completely. Went off to have more babies. Um, Bob Kenz's daughter, tumor from here to here, dark, healed completely. Now, am I saying that everybody gets healed? No. But we've seen God do some incredible, incredible miracles. And so we lift it to the Lord and we see what he does. He's sovereign. We come believing. We anoint you with oil. We lay hands by faith. And we see what God does. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The fact of becoming a Christian sometimes is a very costly thing to some people. The Jews of an early church were considered as traitors and considered as dead by their families. And so the church became all the family they had. This happens even today. Sometimes individuals, uh, their families turn on them because they consider them as being traitors to their religion or uh, treachery to their parenthood or something. And yet, what becomes their family is the people of God. Some of you are closer to each other than to some of your family members in Christ Jesus. Because even though we love our families, and even though there's a blood tie, if they're not born again, we're different as night and day. Now, we love them, we pray for them, but they don't always understand why we do what we do and why we believe the way we believe. And why it is that we spend so much time studying the Bible. They don't understand those things. 
why it is that we don't go out to Vegas and get all loaded and drunk and get all involved in sexual promiscuity, whatever. They, they don't understand why you don't do that. Why it isn't that you don't just cut loose sometimes, you know, let your hair hang down or whatever. They don't understand it. They think you've smoked the big one, you know what I mean? Yes. But in all this information and in all this prayer is a sense of accountability and dependability on the family of God. That something happens, you can pick up the phone and you call up three or four or five Christians that you go to church with and, and God has joined you together and you say, yeah, I need prayer. And we don't always have to share. God knows what it is. See, I, I'm just going through something. Please pray. I can't tell you what. And we pray. We don't say, well, you know, you got to tell me. No, because we know we don't have to know, right? We're not there to tantalize our flesh. Okay, I'll pray for you. Let me pray for you right now. And we know that God is able to intervene, right? And we know God that honors all that, right? John thirteen thirty five says, By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. And if any member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if... One member is honored. All members rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. And so we love one another in the Lord. We're true. We're there for one another. So the personal information about Paul was to give comfort as he was in prison for the gospel. Notice thirdly, you have the personal benediction that he closes with from Paul. 23 and 24. In 23, the Apostle Paul declared first the general benediction. Paul's heart desire for the brethren at Ephesus was the peace of God. Notice that. Brethren. The word brethren means born again. He's in the family of God. Adelphus, literally born of the same womb. The peace that he's speaking about, the word means to be joined, set at one with something previously broken. You get the name Irene from it. 92 times in the New Testament. 46 in Paul's letters. In the Greek, the word peace indicates the antithesis to war, resulting from the cessation of war. Everything's calm, tranquil. The believer being justified has made peace with God, Romans 5, 1 and 2. We're justified. We have peace with God. We're not under sin anymore. He's, we've accepted the forgiveness. In the Septuagint, this Greek word is used, translated into the Hebrew word shalom, 250 times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word shalom communicates a wholeness, a soundness, as well-being for all of life including prosperity, contentment, good relationships, not mere absence of trouble. It was a common greeting, so he joins the Greek and Hebrew greeting here. We're going to move on to see the word grace. Notice Paul's hard desire for the brethren at Ephesus was also love with faith. Peace, love with faith. Agape love is what the word is. It reinforces the divine enablement here for the believer yielding to God. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. This love is distinct from the word phileo, emotional, compatible love due to common personalities. Some people think that's love and then all of a sudden they don't like each other because things happen. It's distinct from the word eros, sexual love, because that's based on the physical. And so you're attracted sexually as long as they look sexy, and that's it. After that, you trade them in on the new model. It's distinct from the word storge, means family love. Nothing wrong with it, but it's distinct from that. The love for father, mother, son, and daughter is different. It's not the same. This is God's agape love through us to others. This is exactly what Paul prayed for them in chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Um, to be rooted and grounded in agape love of God, living out its full potential by being filled with the fullness of God, for it never fails. Every time I have yielded to God's agape love, I have never failed. Every time I have not yielded, I have failed every time. Every time I failed when I don't depend on God's love. 
or yield to it. Notice the accompaniment of faith because faith is the root and love is the fruit, not the reverse. Faith is the active active faith of the believer believing and trusting Jesus for all things. The word appears 244 times in the New Testament. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The source of all three of these is indicated by Paul. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The two persons are God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The expression is of deity, the first two persons of the Trinity. God the Father, the source of all things. The Lord Jesus Christ, the channel to give us all things. And the third person that's not mentioned is the Holy Spirit. And he's the agent. Now the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ were the source notice of their salvation and ongoing spiritual blessing. The preposition from is apple. In the Greek, applies to both the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a combination of titles here. Two titles and a name. Lord Kurios indicates the one to whom he belongs. Lord is master, Kurios. Jesus is his earthly name. It's humanity. It means Yahweh is salvation. Christ is Christos, a title, the anointed one, the Messiah of God. So Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, God who became man. And then notice in 24, the Apostle Paul declared the second benediction the specific benediction. The first one was a general benediction. Now it's very specific. He says, "Grace be uh, with all. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity." Amen. The word grace, as you know, is throughout the epistle. You can't miss it. Unmerited favor, undeserved. It's the common Greek greeting with the idea of beauty, joy, or favor. Appears 156 times in the New Testament. So again, you have peace and grace. The Old Testament, shalom, and the Greek greeting joined together. The Greeks um, used it to show favor to a friend out of purity of heart. Apart from reward, just because you love them. Paul begins his epistle with the grace. He ends with the grace. Grace is all over. It's the source of all things. Grace is immutable as an attribute of God. It doesn't increase. It doesn't decrease. All the people have been saved since the beginning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ have not affected grace. One iota. Now, if you go down to the Pacific Ocean and you take a five-gallon bucket and you dip it in there and fill it, you just decrease the Pacific Ocean by five gallons. Everybody who's been saved and God has forgiven has not affected the grace of God. It is immu- It is the same. Wow. Grace is sufficient for salvation, glorification, inexhaustible supply of God for sinners. Notice Paul qualifies the benediction of grace to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. He includes all believers who are lovers of Christ. Agape, again, God's love, participle, present, active, ongoing, continuously. You know, like a husband and a wife, you know, they pledge their love at the altar and they say, oh, I love you at the honeymoon. But what happens afterwards? It can't just be at the beginning. It can't be, G- G- be when everything is just new, but ongoing. The evidence of our love is faith and obedience. He repeats the same two titles in one name. 
that he's already stated. Lord, Curios, Master, Jesus, Yahweh's salvation is humanity, and Christos, Messiah. But he qualifies the love again, notice, in sincerity. The word sincerity means incorruption, uncorrupted, and impurity, being genuine. The Greeks used to go to the market and they would um, buy um, marble statues. And sometimes they would be chipping, they would be chiseling and they'd slip and they'd chip an ear off or something like that. And they would get wax and, and, and then smash up some marble and put it together and then they would mold it like that and, and you wouldn't see it. So you would grab that thing and you would put it up to the light and you say, is this any Siri? Is this sincere? Is it genuine? You put it up to the light. Our love to be sincere for the Lord. Not false. Not when convenient. This is what he's talking about. The source being the grace of God enabling the believer who has received eternal life. In Numbers chapter 5, 23 to 26, there's the benediction that says, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord Yahweh bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's blessing. Our lives will have difficult times and fiery trials, yet Jesus promised us his peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave unto you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you shall have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So our dependency upon him. The love of God is the only thing that will allow me to be more like Christ and less like me in this world. Listen to agape love's potential. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Agape love has great potential. Love suffers long and is kind. And that's agape. Agape does not envy. Agape does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave unrudely. Rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoice in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Agape never fails. Now, you can put the name of Jesus there, and you can read it all. Now, put your name in there, start reading it. You can't do it. So I have to abide in Christ Jesus, depend upon Him to get through this list. I can't do it apart from Him. We will be rewarded only for what is motivated by agape love, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 4, 8. Listen. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy 4.8. I can't wait for the I wish the Lord come right now. It's a selfish love, but it's okay. He gives it to me. I want to see him come. Grace speaks of all that is available in Christ for our life of godliness. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. We stand in God's grace, Romans 5.2. We are given grace according to the grace given by God in Romans uh, 12.6. And we are to know that God's grace is sufficient for all the difficult things of life in 2 Corinthians 12.9. You see, the gospel is called the gospel of grace, Acts 20.24. The personal benediction from Paul was to be blessed and be blessed them with the gospel. Wow. So Paul closes his letter confirming his own commitment in spiritual warfare here to be victorious. The personal petition of Paul was prayer to proclaim the gospel. Personal information about Paul was to give comfort as he was in prison for the gospel. And the personal benediction from Paul was to bless them with and through the gospel.
The gospel is called the good news, ladies and gentlemen. How does he end it? Amen. It means so be it. I affirm this. If you put that same amen in the beginning of the verse, it's verily, verily. Pay attention. What I'm going to say is, is very important. When you put the same word at the end of the, the sentence, it means amen. I second that emotion. He affirms it. What an incredible letter. You have 68 studies before you in these six chapters. Don't waste them. Ask God to give you wisdom. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We love you. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for the time you've given us, Lord, and the wealth of your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would be doers of your word and you help us to trust you and only you, Lord. And we do pray for just the church, Lord, as you continue to add, as you continue to direct and guide us. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you believe Jesus is God who became man and rose from the dead, then the Bible says you can call upon him and he will forgive you of all your sins and give to you eternal life. That's your prayer. If you want to be born again or you're over the internet, this is your prayer right now you're going to repeat. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.